We're all advocates. We're the backbone. We're the backbone of the nation. We're the backbone of the state of Texas. Creates a healthy community. So, you know, eat local, buy local, support your local farmers. Welcome back to another episode of The Advocates. I'm Wade Howard, joined by my co-host, Dan Sell. I want to thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. Dan, where are we headed? Wade, we're going to be moving to Austin, Texas with, with Alyssa Nolan. Uh, she's a lobbyist here at the Capitol. Uh, we will be discussing different subjects, but two of the top ones for us is is hemp and Herefords. Uh, it, it's a very interesting subject, and I think it's going to be a great podcast. Alyssa Nolan, how are you doing today? I'm doing just wonderful. How are y'all? We are doing great. Dan, yourself? Doing great. Doing great. Happy to record this uh, podcast with y'all. Absolutely. Well, we're joined tonight by uh, Alyssa Nolan, a, a, a Texan an Aggie, a, a Red Raider, um, but also she's she's a lobbyist. She's in, she's involved with lots of different things. Uh, Lisa, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and, and what you're doing right now? Sure. So um, currently I live in Austin, Texas, our lovely state capital, and I am a lobbyist here in and around the state capital of Texas. I primarily represent um, water clients, environmental clients, and most importantly, agriculture clients. Um, I love it. I love what I do. It, it gives me an opportunity to represent all the farmers and ranchers that I grew up around and have a voice uh, for policy and really what affects the agriculture industry as a whole in Texas and in our nation. That's, that's, that's great. I think sometimes people hear the word lobbyist and people's like, I don't, I don't really know about that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but it, it sounds like at lobby. <laughs> It sounds like lobbyists have our back. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, it's so funny. My youngest sister is a senior in high school and she's in a government class and their professor asked, you know, do you think that the federal government should ban lobbyists? And she sent it to me. She was like, how do you feel about that? And I said, you know what? You tell them what you think. And she goes, I actually think what you do is pretty necessary because, you know, you're hired by clients to help push their agenda in a positive agenda in a positive way. And that's what we do. You know, like I, I represent a variety of ag clients and you know, they might not know the process um, to write legislation or how to get it passed or what avenues to go through, what agencies you have to work with. And, and that's what we do. And that's why um, we have our careers. And, you know, some people think, you know, it's it's big corporations, big business that come in. But there are people like me who are working um, in and around the legislature that are representing, you know, the ag industry and people that are important that basically like feed our world. So it's a, it's a good thing. It's a little scary, but it's a good thing. <laughs> so let's, let's back things up. Let's, let's go to college station. Let's go to Lubbock. How does, how does a college student um, find themselves in Austin working with lobbyists? Sure. So I'll kind of give you a, a little bit of background on myself. I'm originally from Gilmer, Texas. It's in East Texas, small town, about 4,500 people, home of the East Texas Yamboree. Um, so, you know, yams were the primary crop, but also there's a lot of cattle farmers, hay farmers. So I grew up on a registered Hereford operation, um, grew up showing Hereford cattle, was really involved in um, FFA. I was a state FFA officer in 2007 to 2008, and that led me to go to Texas A&M. So I got my undergraduate degree in agricultural leadership and development. And funny enough, my minor in horticulture, which is hysterical as I represent, you know, row crop farmers now. And um, from there, my parents said, you know what, it'd be a good idea if you get a master's. So I was um, 
kind of had been recruited since I was an FFA member to come to tech and they finally got me. You know, I'm an Aggie first and foremost, but I'm also a Red Raider, proud Red Raider. I actually, um, my assistantship, I recruited for the Student Success Center for um, their College of Agriculture, CASNR. So once I was there in grad school, uh, my degree was in agricultural communications, loved it wonderful program. They really spend one-on-one time with the students. They said, hey, Alyssa, have you thought of um, interning in Washington, D.C.? And I said, you know, I I have some family friends through the cattle industry that have done that. It sounds like something I'd be interested in. So through there, they have a um, Washington, D.C. internship program. And I ended up interning with the United States House Agriculture Committee. At the time, it was under Chairman Frank Lucas from Oklahoma. So from there is what really sparked my interest of, hey, this is something that I can do that represents the agricultural industry. Politics really fascinated me, not only politics, but policy. How does legislation affect our industry as a whole or really just affect citizens on a day-to-day basis? Thought I wanted to stay in D.C., got a call about a really cool job in Austin at the state capitol, and so ended up taking it. And here I am today, uh, eight years later, I reached my goal of becoming a lobbyist a lot earlier than I thought that I would. It is not easy. It is hard every day. But, um, you know, politics is wonderful. It's an interesting um, outlet for, you know, kids from the agriculture industry or people who are wanting to work in agriculture, um, to a path to follow. You know, it's non-stereotypical, but there are a lot of us out there that do do this and there is a lot of added benefit to it. Yeah, we don't live at home on our farms or ranches anymore, but we're in the city every day fighting tooth and nail to represent the rest of you guys out there. So Alyssa, as, as a farmer, I see the importance of people being activists for ag. Uh, how important is that to you? And do you see, uh, the difference in that versus people who might not know a whole lot about ag. What's what's your opinion about that? I mean, when you think of agriculture, you think of the food that individuals eat. You think of cotton that's grown to put clothes on people's back. You know, you've in there's all these different sectors of the agriculture industry. You could even consider forestry a part a part of that. You know, trees, and that's what builds our homes. So, advocacy for agriculture and also our rural areas of the state is so important because that's kind of the backbone of our state. It's the backbone of our nation. And there has to be individuals like myself, also elected individuals that come from these rural areas, that come from these agriculture backgrounds to represent this industry. Because, I mean, we wouldn't eat without it. It sounds cliche. You know, I remember in FFA, there was um, some t-shirt. It was like, without agriculture, you'd be naked or hungry, you know, and that's the truth. It it is the truth. And for me down here in Austin, um, representing the ag industry, you know, when I started working in politics, I was the reading clerk, which is where you read all the bills and resolutions on the house floor. And you kind of become this like person that everybody knows and they see every day during the legislative session, kind of like a, uh, a news reporter in a way. And I met a lot of the state reps and I got, I was known as the ag girl, you know, a lot of them I had known from my days at FFA or from back home, um, from the ag industry. And they're like, this is our ag girl. And from there, I kind of developed this, um, reputation as rural agriculture, environmental 
girl that's an Aggie and went to tech. Got it. So once I kind of got out of working as a reading clerk, I had the opportunity to work for the vice chair of the Ag and Livestock Committee, uh, Doc Anderson out of Waco. And a lot of the pieces of legislation that we carried were primarily representing the ag industry, um, or they were from the Department of Agriculture. And so that's how I got recruited to work at the Department of Ag. Um, Under Sid Miller, I was uh, running their government relations division. And I mean, that runs everything from your pesticide program for structural, which is people that go into your homes and spray for pests there, or, you know, for commodities that are going and spraying pesticides and herbicides on your farms and ranches to, um, you know, the GoTexan program that is there promoting the ag industry and uh, local farmers and ranchers, the wine industry, the shrimpers and uh, the Gulf of Mexico. So, I mean, it's important. It, a lot of people don't understand or realize how much policy and legislation can affect them, whether that be through funds, through the appropriations bill, whether that's maybe even something that's as small as a, a shall or a may that's within legislation that could affect an entire industry as a whole, or just making sure that they're getting the funding that they need. So, you know, it is important. And I look around and and there are obviously people out there that represent the agricultural industry, but there aren't many of us that actually grew up in it. And so having that advantage of being able to talk the talk, being able to walk into an office, and when you're speaking on behalf of an issue, those legislators and those staffers say, oh, yes, we trust you. We hear you. We know that you represent the ag industry. We know you grew up in, in it. We know that you've got ag degrees and that you're kind of like the bread and butter of that. So for me, that's like the most exciting thing in the world is to be able to go in there and represent an industry that kind of like made me who I am and got me to where I am today. But advocacy is so important in ag. And I, I speak to FFA groups, uh, youth leadership groups all the time about this. And so we're, we hope that more of those wonderful FFA and 4-H members and ag majors uh, continue to come work in either D.C. or Austin and uh, represent our industry. Right. So what does a day in the life of a lobbyist look like? So say we just followed you around, not creepily, <laughs> tomorrow, <laughs> you know, what does what does it look like for you on a, on just a normal day at work? Sure. So if it's a day during the interim, so that's when we're not in a legislative session. Um, I am on the phone with clients. I'm monitoring what's going on federally with um, legislation regarding the ag industry or or water. What's going on with water? Um, it's really staying up to date, meeting with agencies that are affected by the legislation that has been recently passed during the legislative session. Uh, you know, I personally work really closely with the Department of Agriculture, uh, the Department of State and Health Services, TCEQ, Water Development Board, as well as meeting with those legislators and legislative staff to keep up to date. Because a lot of those guys are the ones who carried our pieces of legislation, and they have an invested interest as well on seeing, you know, how did the, how is this legislation working through the rulemaking process for these agencies? Because we're wanting to you know represent um, this industry to the best of our possible capability and making sure that the legislation we pass actually works. So mm-hmm. that's during the interim. Um, it's a little slower during that time, but man, when session comes, it is. <laughs> 24-7, I do not leave the city of Austin, only if it's to go to a livestock show when I was watching my sister's show. Um, 
And it is, you know, 7 a.m. to sometimes 3 a.m., you know, Mm -hmm. depending on how long a hearing goes or how long they're on the floor um, of the House or the Senate. It's it's all day, you know, pounding the pavement, walking door to door of those legislators' offices, talking to staff. I mean, working eight years in the legislature in Texas, you do develop relationships. And a lot of those friends are chief of staffs or they've moved over to agencies. And that's wonderful. And that helps us all as a whole. But a lot of times there are new representatives or senators that get elected. And so you don't know anybody in those offices. So it's a, you think of like a cold call that you do. I mean, it's literally me walking into an office. Hi, how are you? I've got this great piece of legislation. Would you think about carrying it. I mean, they don't know who I am. You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> they're taking a, a bet on me for sure, sitting down and having a conversation, but it's a lot of hard work. Um, you know, I think people think this life of a lobbyist is glamorous and fun. It's schmoozing, it's going to dinners, but really it's getting people to believe and trust in what you're saying and that you represent whatever client to the best of your ability to say, Hey, look, no, we're trying to make a difference is we're trying to make a positive difference with this industry so that they can flourish. Um, I represented the olive oil industry this past session, which was so exciting. And, um, you know, they've been here in Texas for like 10 years, I want to say so or so on. And they just wanted to be recognized. And so we developed a piece of legislation that I wrote for them to develop an advisory council through the Department of Agriculture that basically says, hey, we're here, we're an industry. It's the same thing that the wine industry did um, years ago. And it's you can see how much of a difference it's made in 10 years from wine, how small it was to how large it is now. I mean, y'all are in kind of the panhandle area where they grow a lot of the grapes. I mean, it's just, it's grown. So that's what we did for olives. And it was just every day of convincing people, yes, we can grow olives in the state of Texas. I promise. <laughs> it's, just, it's a lot of convincing. It's a lot of getting people to trust you. Um, a lot of long hours and uh, a lot of pizza lunches and Mexican food lunches. Catering at quick, the quick question. No, don't think about it. Best pizza in Austin. Ooh, best pizza in Austin. Ooh. Just thinking about it. I know. I'm thinking about it. I'm going to say Eastside Pies. Eastside Pies Sounds for sure. Good. I wouldn't know if it's good or bad or not. Um, <laughs> um, you, you mentioned that, that you spend a lot of time meeting with legislators and, and pitching them ideas. Um, what can the people that they represent do to help lobbyists um, if there's a certain thing that you're, y'all are trying to push through um, during a session? Sure. So, you know, if there's a piece of legislation that has come up and let's say somebody from their district has an invested interest in it, it's as simple as picking up the phone and calling the legislative office to say, hey, I support this. I want this. So that's what those legislators want to hear. A lot of the times we'll walk into an office and they'll say, well, I haven't heard from my constituents. I don't think that this is really something that I should be interested in caring because, you know, it's not in my district. Well, when you do have someone from your district that says, hey, you know, like I'm, for example, interested in growing hemp or I'm interested in growing um, an olive orchard, well, then that's going to give them more of a reason to say, hey, let's get funding to the olive oil industry or, hey, let's pass this piece of legislation to make it legal to grow hemp in the state of Texas. Because, you know, without the constituent support, then we're not going to be able to be successful um, 
at the state capitol to even get a majority vote on the piece of legislation that we're trying to pass. So speaking of hemp, Lissa, why, what would you tell me as a farmer, why, would, why should I raise hemp on my farm? What, what are the advantages of it versus maybe some disadvantages to raising it? Sure. So you think of hemp like any other diversified agricultural crop. Um, farmers in the panhandle that have been growing cotton for generations decided to diversify their crop to grow uh, grapes or wine production in the state of Texas, you know, hemp is going to be the same way. It's going to be a way for farmers to diversify their crops, to make another income, to see if this crop works um, wherever they're located in the state of Texas. There's still a lot of unknowns with hemp right now. Um, a lot of people say, oh, it's the wild west. We don't know what's going on, but we're going to get there. With any agricultural commodity, it takes research and development. You know, right now, currently, Texas is looking at what seeds can be grown in what region of the state of Texas, what climate is best, what soil is best. So I suggest to farmers, you know, if you're interested in growing hemp this coming growing season, which will be this summer of 2020, then start researching maybe seeds that come from similar climates as yourself of wherever your region is from other states that have been growing hemp. Find a reputable seed source, someone that you can trust that has high germination rates. Um, there are a lot of people out there that are losing money on it. But also, if you find the right person and you get with the right group of people and the right research and individuals that you can trust, then you there is money to be made in this. You know, a lot of people are focusing on oh, CBD this, CBD that, but there are a lot of other byproducts that come from hemp. I, I tell everyone in the ag industry, you know, they they think that, you know, hemp is just for medical purposes, but think of the ag industry as a whole when you think of um, cattle, you know, how many byproducts are made from cattle, how many byproducts are made from cotton, how many byproducts are made from other agricultural commodities. Hemp is the same way. Um, hemp, you can grow it for fiber, uh, which, you know, makes clothing, you can have hempcrete, you can build homes with it. Yes, you can have CBD oil as well. It can be used in cosmetics. It can be used to eat hemp seeds. If you go to a Whole Foods or Trader Joe's, you can see hemp seeds. Um, you know, hemp oil can be even put into different food items. So the possibilities are endless. And it's, it's an exciting time for the state of Texas, uh, from the farmer's perspective to just the industry as a whole and getting this started. Um, I've been fortunate to be working on this issue since 2015 when I was just a little legislative director for D Charles Doc Anderson in uh, 2015. So it's exciting to see where it's at. But, you know, farmers need to be cautious in a good way, like they would be with any crop that they're growing of, you know, when is the best time to plant this? Who do I work with that has seeds? And how many acres should I grow in the first season just to start with to see if it works? So, you know, advantages are that this could be a very lucrative crop. Disadvantages are that it's a very he heavily regulated crop, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but it's because you have to harvest the plant uh, before it reaches that 0.3% uh, THC level. And if you, know, you have to go get it tested by a certified laboratory, and if that certified laboratory says your plant is hot twice, then you have to destroy 
that entire right. crop, depending on that plot, how you have it registered through the Department of Agriculture. So there could be some major gain, but there can also be some major loss in it as well. And so that's why when farmers ask me or individuals I know um, in the ag industry, hey, I want to grow it. And I say, hey, just just grow a couple of acres, see how that works this season, and then go full force the next season when we kind of had a growing season behind our belt. So Alyssa, as a uh, farmer of my vast experience of 22 years here in the Texas Panhandle, a lot of the things that you've just mentioned about regulations and, and why we don't want to let the plants get hot, as, as you say, uh, that keeps me from growing hemp as, my, as a farmer myself because one, I already have to mess with the government enough as it is, and that's my least favorite thing. And so if I was to raise hemp, you know, that just adds the uh, the capability of having to, to work with the government and making sure that everything's uh, the way it needs to be. In the future, do you see uh, Amer- or Texas coming away from, from uh, having so much reg- regulations on hemp, or do you think that's going to be something that is going to have to be enforced uh, until, you know, we raise this plant? Till we can't. So the way that it worked was during the legislative session, we were in a, a weird spot because a lot of states were already under the 2014 Farm Bill, which ha- it gave their rights to have a pilot program, right? So they tried to get that passed in Texas, didn't work for two different sessions. And then in 2018, they passed the Farm Bill. Um, the United States Farm Bill that stated that hemp is now legal to grow in the United States. So what happened is all these states had to go back into their legislatures and say, hey, now we need to go in and make sure that we can grow you know, hemp in, in our respective states. So in Texas, when we were trying to write our legislation and to pass this bill, we were kind of in a spot where we didn't really know what the federal rules were going to be. And, and it was hard for us when we were talking to legislators. They're like, we need to put more information in there. You know, we need to regulate it more. And and what I did, and there were several other of us lobbyists on the House side of things, we said, hey, you know, let's just have a, a bill that's kind of there that the Department of Agriculture can go in and say, this is how we're going to write the rules as soon as the federal rules come out, right? So when we did that in the House, we kind of got a little pressure from the Senate um, because, I mean, there are, there are a lot of conservative members and a lot of them are, you know, CBD was the big thing that was brought up and in sessions past, that was never an issue. It was more of an industrial hemp agricultural commodity. And we kept trying to say, this is an ag crop. This is an ag crop. Yes, we do understand that you have to, harvested before it's 0.3%, but we had to make a lot of changes to make a compromise basically with the Senate when it was coming from the House side. So that's where you saw a lot of your more strict regulatory activities, but also the federal government, whenever USDA gave us their federal rules, it had things in there stated of how they would like for it to be regulated. So when you ask, do you think that this is going to change? Maybe it possibly could, you know, legislation and policy is forever changing. And I think that that's what we do as lobbyists. And that's what we do as agriculture advocates are say, Hey, you know, guys, what do you want? What works best for you? Is this hurting our industry as a whole? Because you have to do so many different test of the actual crop or you have to test the batch of the oil, the product before it's put into, you know, the end retail product that consumers purchase. Um, Is there 
a way that we can breed the THC out of our seeds through seed genetics so that we don't have to do the testing anymore. So technology is forever advancing. I think the hemp industry is going to continue to learn and grow. We are, even though we have grown it in the past, it is a new thing for us again that we're all trying to learn, especially in the state of Texas. So I do think there's a possibility that we will be able to relieve the farmer of a lot of the regulations that are put upon them by the legislation. But that, you know, you asked earlier, what can I do as a a citizen in my district? If I'm a hemp farmer, what can I do? Well, it's as simple as that. It's calling up your state representative or your state senator, the lieutenant governor or the governor or Sid Miller, the ag commissioner, and saying, hey, there's no way that I can have a successful farming operation growing hemp if I'm having to pay for all of these tests to be sent to labs or, you know, it's it's just, it's too much money for me at the end of the day. So yeah, anything is forever changing, but I do think that it's going to take a little bit longer uh, than than people would expect just because I know how hard it was to get this bill passed. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, Alyssa, you've been in, involved in politics uh, for a long time. Kind of, I, I guess I'd say lobbyists are kind of behind the scenes. People really don't know what they do. What are, what are, what are I mean, obviously you're, you're very passionate about hemp and, and the process that it's going through right now in Austin and, and in D.C. as well. What, what's another topic that you, you've been involved with that's really, it's really sparked your interest and, and, and made you want to get out there and learn more about something? Sure. So I um, am with a law firm, uh, Booth and Associates, and we primarily in the past and current day represent water clients. So river authorities, water authorities, water is a very huge issue. Everybody knows this as a farmer, Um, but water rights, you know, people, you know, are wanting to sell their water, water, how can they make uh, money off of that. And there's a lot of controversy over it. And even, you know, flood infrastructure programs and littering and illegal dumping. And so that's kind of something that I've gotten more interested in. Those are huge hot topics. Um, this past session, I tried to push, push a piece of legislation that was over littering and illegal dumping, which, you know, is just plastic or, or, or tires that are in our um, waterways and, and rivers and it results in our animals that could be eating the plastic just from the trash that's blowing over from our roads and people dumping them on farm to market roads. And it's a huge issue that a lot of people don't think about. And do you think about how much plastic that we use on a day-to-day basis in the ag industry? It, it's insane. So yeah. it's just a way of aggregating that, getting it back together. And, and how do we give an incentive to the consumer of Texas to say, hey, let's just keep this off of our roads, which ends up getting into our water, which ends up going into the Gulf of Mexico. So that was a really cool issue that I got to, got to work on. And I hope that I continue to get to. Do you mess with the, I think it's called EPA much in that the organization the government has for water rights on irrigation and stuff? Oh, I hate so- this. So federally, you have the EPA, and then every federal agency has their respective state agency. So in Texas, it's TCEQ, which is the Texas Commission on Environmental Quality, and then the Texas Water Development Board. So we work with both of those agencies a lot uh, on behalf of our water clients. Mm -hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, I think we're going to wrap it up here, Alyssa, but what would you like to tell our listeners? We're looking at hopefully having, you know, quite a few, a few hundred at least 
listeners, and you know, you never know where they'll be from, primarily Texas. But what would you like to say as a lobbyist, as someone who works in politics, uh, seeing what citizens might do, like me, to be able to to help versus you know just not helping at all? And then, what's the most enjoyable thing about your job that you get to see in in coming days or whatever? Sure. So when I was a senior in high school, my uh, our senior sponsor had a document and everyone went in there and they wrote, you know, their class favorites, what was their most memorable thing about being a graduate of Gilmer High School. You know, we could bequeath something to uh, a younger student. And then one of them was, where do you see yourself in 10 years? And I actually wrote down that I saw myself in 10 years working for the Department of Agriculture representing the ag industry, which is wild that I even thought to do that back then, but it was probably that good old FFA raisin that I had and all those amazing leadership conferences that we went to that kind of sparked my interest. And um, I told my debate teacher, I said, hey, I want to be a lobbyist. I didn't know what it was. I was in debate. I thought that that's what it was. Yeah, you write resolutions and you've got some amendments here and there, but I didn't really know what it entailed until I started working in politics um, in Austin. Uh, there are several, you know, lobbyists out there that have mentored me as well as bosses that I've known. It's just wild how long I've known them from my FFA days or my cattle showing days. And it made me realize that I could do the same thing. You know, that somebody from a different type of ag background, you know, East Texas is a lot different than West Texas and the Panhandle and South Texas. Texas is massive. You know, we have so many different regions. We have so many different types of agricultural backgrounds and and ranching backgrounds and farm backgrounds. That's what makes our state unique. And so being able to represent an industry that truly, truly made me who I am, who got me those scholarships to college. People I've known since my Hereford cattle showing days from not just in Texas, but literally across the nation to when I was a state FFA officer to when I was at Texas A&M on the College of Ag Student Council to being a graduate assistant at Texas Tech and recruiting for the College of Agriculture. It's literally all of that has kind of brought me to my career today of being a lobbyist and able to represent this industry that we all call home and that we're all passionate about and that we all love that literally feeds and puts clothes on people's back across the world. I mean, Texas is one of the largest agricultural states in the nation. You know, where would everybody be without us? So it's just a passion of mine. And, and if I could give anybody any, a piece of advice that would be interested in working in this field is, you know, definitely go do an internship in Washington, DC, do an internship in Austin at the state capitol during the legislative session, you will learn so much. You might be making coffee for people or you might be running errands, but let me tell you what, every one of those connections and those individuals that you meet, trust me, you will see them down the road. And that has been so very true for me. And and people that I see, you know, whether it's at a you know, Texas Turf Association meeting or it's going to a cattle show or it's going back home to Gilmer in East Texas and spending time with family and friends is they ask me, they're like, hey, Alyssa, what's going on? What can we do? And and this might sound so simple, but picking up the phone and calling your legislator, getting more involved in your community and you know, developing a reg- relationship with those senators and representatives 
to say, hey, these are my issues. This is what affects me on a day-to-day basis because we're just trying to tell our story, right? That's what my day in Texas Ag is. It's sharing the story of everybody in the agriculture industry. And that's what I'm trying to do as an agriculture lobbyist. And I'm an advocate for the industry. We're all advocates, but there are a few of us that are able to go into that capital every day that know the process, that understand this is how it works. And these are the, the hoops that I have to jump through to make sure that I'm representing this industry as a whole, because we're the backbone. We're the backbone of the nation. We're the backbone of the state of Texas. And I love it. I thank my parents, uh, Scott and Elise, for you know raising me in the agricultural industry. It's a multi-generational family affair. And I, I love every moment of it. And my favorite thing every day is just being able to walk into a room and I'm the ag girl, you know, I'm the ag girl in the state capitol. I'm young. I'm only 31 years old. I'm a female lobbyist. It is not easy, but, you know, at least I have that background. At least I have that story and I'm going in there and representing an industry that's important and that I'm passionate about. Uh, Alyssa, I've got, got one more question for you here. Nolan, Nolan Herford's longtime Herford breeders there over there in East Texas. Uh, yes. Your thoughts on a, on a, on a, on an awesome pulled Herford and an awesome horn Herford. Um, getting slapped in, in Fort Worth um, Man, that, to get the big bears. That was so exciting. The Day family are good family friends of ours. Uh, Katie Joe Day is actually a member of the Texas Herford Auxiliary. I serve as president this year as well. And so she was at our meeting the weekend before and she was talking about advocating for agriculture and how do we get certified Herford beef and, you know, these distributors in the state of Texas. And so to see that her son, you know, won the show the next weekend was just like, oh my gosh, this is wild. You know, to have two Herefords in the champion and reserve spots, it, w- it was just wonderful for hashtag Team Hereford and the Hereford family that, you know, we we call ourselves the OGs. You know, every time you see a photo, what do you see? You see that white face? And uh, we're proud of it and we're proud for them. It's an exciting time for our breed. And, you know, my family, we've always try to be advocates for the Hereford breed. And, you know, I served as Texture and Hereford president and my sister was the national Hereford queen and my other sister is Texas Hereford queen right now. So it's, it's a family affair. And I never got to show steers because my dad was like, Oh heck no. (laughs) (laughs) I showed heifers, which was great. I loved it. But, uh, you know, it was, it was exciting. So congratulations to them both and may more people buy Hereford steers. Because guess I, what, we're winning. Um, a couple weekends ago, there were some there were some big sales in the Panhandle, and and the pictures I saw of those Herefords, those things were wicked good. Um, they should they should be pretty <laughs> fun next what? year, also. <laughs> say, oh yeah, you heard from people like whatever y'all are just in it for the fun. We're like, uh, excuse you, we've always been here. Where have y'all been? Right on. I'm a bandwagon fan. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hey, Alyssa, in closing, what would be the best way to get a hold of you, whether it's social media, email, or whatever? Someone has a, has a problem, plug whatever you'd like in there so we can get a hold of you. Sure. So something that I forgot to mention is that I'm actually um, starting a nonprofit for the hemp industry called the Texas Hemp Coalition. Um, in the state of Texas, we have a lot of different organizations that are commodity basis that are popping up. But what we're doing is we're creating um, the premier coalition for advocacy and education. And if there is anyone in the ag industry that is interested in growing hemp, please contact us. You can email me at inolan 
at baw.com. We are currently filling our founding board member seats, and we should hopefully be fully launched as a nonprofit in April, which is very exciting. I have been working on this since September or October. It's a lot of work. Um, but it's going to be worth it because we're going to represent the hemp industry as a whole. And, you know, we all know how important those commodity organizations are to support the ag industry um, at the Capitol, but also just as a whole. Um, so you can email me there. Um, also, you can follow me on Twitter at, at Alyssa Nolan, and then also the Texas Hemp Coalition at, at TX Hemp Coalition. Alyssa, thanks for taking some time out of your busy schedule to hop on with us and share your wealth of knowledge about a wide variety of subjects. Uh, We'll visit with you next time. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Advocates. Be sure and check out our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages to see who we'll feature next. On behalf of Dan, I'm Wade. We'll see you next time.